Welcome to the Brand the Interpreter podcast. I am your host, Mireya Perez, and this platform is dedicated to sharing the stories of language professionals, that is, the interpreters and translators from around the world. This show aims to highlight not just the profession, but mainly the people behind the amazing work. These are your stories about our profession, and this is the Brand the Interpreter podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Orange County Department of Education. Since 2017, the Orange County Department of Education in California and their Language Services Unit is spearheading the professionalization of interpreters and translators working in educational settings and providing professional learning opportunities to bilingual staff by hosting their annual Interpreters and Translators Conference. With the participation of over 100 school districts from 25 states, 40 county offices of education, and 11 countries in the past four years, it is one of the most renowned events in the educational field. The Orange County Department of Education would like to invite you to their fifth annual conference on the road to professionalization, taking place September 8th through October 2nd, 2021, in a four-week professional learning series. For more information on this event, please visit www.ocde.us. Welcome back, language professionals. I am so glad that you decided to join me again today on another episode of the Brand the Interpreter podcast. This is Mireya, your host, and I'm excited to introduce today's guest. I'll keep it brief because I am just getting out of a nasty cold, and so my throat is not 100% yet, and neither is my voice. So I don't want to lose my voice, um, so I'm trying to be nice to it. So I'll keep this intro short and sweet and dive right into introducing our guest for today. Gustavo Negrete received his training at California State University in Fullerton's Extended Education Program in Court Interpreting English to Spanish and Spanish to English. In 2014, he achieved national certification through the National Board of Certification for Medical Interpreters, otherwise known as NBCMI, and currently serves as the Secretary of the NBCMI. He is also a certified HIPAA privacy expert. Gustavo was previously an interpreter and translator at Riverside University Health System. Currently, he is the president and CEO of a micro-interpreting and translation company providing on-site OPI, VRI, and translation services for clients and is the coordinator and lead instructor of Trans Interpreting's Healthcare Interpreting Program. So, without further ado, here's Gustavo Negrete. Gustavo, thank you for joining us today. I can't wait to get started on our conversation. But before we deep dive, share with us, what did you aspire to be when you grew up? Hi, thank you, Mireya, for having me. Uh, it's quite an honor and a privilege to be on your podcast. Um, so, well, uh, growing up, I very vividly remember saying to my kindergarten teacher of all um, that I aspired to be either a firefighter and or a president. What? So those were the two things that that I told my kindergarten teacher that I aspired to be. I love it. Do you recall seeing or hearing something that made you aspire for either of these things? Um, in all honesty, I can't recall exactly what prompted me to even consider those two possibilities as a as a child, but yeah. those those were the two things that I aspired to be. I love it. So cute. It's amazing that at the age of, you know, like that young age, tender age in kindergarten, you were already thinking like you had it set. So that says a lot. Well, having shared that now, Gustavo, share with us what your story is. Who is Gustavo Negrete? Share, share with us a fond memory of what it was like growing up as Gustavo. Sure. So, um, like many of, uh, of your listeners and many interpreters, of course, I'm the child of immigrants. My family is from Mexico, originally. Uh, both of my parents are from Guanajuato, Mexico. Um, they, my father immigrated here to the U.S. first, uh, and then soon after, my mother. Um, all three of uh, my siblings are actually born here in the U.S., 
Um, however, we did spend, at least my brother and I, we did spend some time um, between both countries. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's definitely something that, that has definitely influenced me in my throughout my career as an interpreter. Um, well, uh, this side of the border, um, I grew up in South Central LA. I actually grew up in Compton. Oh. Uh, yeah, I attended elementary school in Linwood and high school in Compton. And uh, yeah, so that's pretty much my childhood there. Lots of fun memories, though. Uh, out it, out in Compton? Uh-huh. Out in Compton um, or or both out in Guanajuato. Now, be, before you even answer that, let's go back a little bit. What part of Guanajuato is your family from? Oh, sure. My family is from a little tiny, you know, city. Um, it's called Pencamo, Guanajuato. Uh, although I have family scattered all throughout the state, over in Celaya, in Irapuato, in Romita, um, in uh, Querétaro. And of course, you know, throughout Mexico as well, Mexico City, uh, Puebla, uh, and even on the border in Mexicali. Amazing. Uh, now, I my stepdad is actually from El Capulín, Guanajuato. And I mean, legally, he's my stepdad, but that's that's my pops. That's my dad. He raised me. And so we would go to El Capulín all the time as a kid. And I have fond memories of that place. What was it like for you out in um, Guanajuato when you guys would go visit as a family? What do you recall from out there most? Oh, wow. Um, some of the fondest memories uh, were, of course, of my grandparents' house. Um, my father, my grandfather, excuse me, who um, was a baker. Mm. And my grandmother, of course, was a homemaker. Mm. And my family, uh, they were all in different trades, um, teachers, some of them. Um, one of my uncles, uh, by marriage, he was a butcher. Uh, we did not have a, we had the baker, of course, being my grandfather, but I don't recall having a candlestick maker. maker so. <laughs> Okay, as a as a, a bread maker, I I imagine that the smell of bread somehow must always take you back to Guanajuato. Oh, of course, right? of course, yeah. Of, of all the things, uh, this is really funny. There's a bakery um, not far from where I live. I currently live in uh, Placentia, which is in Orange County, California, and not far from where I live, there is a baker. Yeah, uh, it's uh, his name is Hugo. It's Hugo's Bakery. He is also from Guanajuato. No, no kidding. I, I was like, no way. <laughs> um, I love it. And so then, yeah, of course. God, the minute I walked into that bakery, nostalgia. Yes, isn't that so great? How the memories of our childhood are always somehow linked with one of our sensories, you know, um, but it's, it's never mind the sensory aspect. It's like, it's always the fact that it just takes you right back to a certain moment of your life, no matter if it's, whether you see it, whether you smell it, whether you touch it, it's like this instant, you know, going back through time and you're there again. Isn't that amazing? It is. It instinctively takes us back to a moment in time or, you know, or several years in time. Yeah. I always find that so fascinating. And then when I break out of it, it's almost like, I'm like, no, come back memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now share with us, Gustavo, the, the contrast between uh, when you would go visit uh, out in Guanajuato and then you're living in Compton because out in Compton, I'm sure, I mean, depending on where exactly you live, but I imagine there might've been, although some similarities, a complete contrast, is there anything that you, that, that stands out for you in, in that moment in time out in Compton? Um, well, you're right. There are a lot of contrasts between the two. Um, uh, but there's also a lot of parallels too, some similarities. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the street where I grew up on in Compton was predominantly Hispanic. So there was a lot of sense of community there. We knew mm-hmm. everybody on the street and even a couple of blocks over. Um, so we were always, you know, um, looking out for each other specifically. 
Uh, so that sense of community, just like if you would be like in Mexico, for example, or or anywhere really um, in Latin America, um, that sense of community is is was there. Um, but of course, you know, very stark contrast in ten, in sense of um, security, for lack of better words. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, of course, um, just uh, the overall tension that was in the city, especially during the time where I was growing up. Right. So share with us now, Gustavo, you you're growing up in Compton in a predominantly Hispanic community. At what point during your childhood, if it happened in your childhood or at what point uh, during the trajectory of your schooling, did you decide that you wanted to become a language professional? It had crossed my mind mm -hmm. uh, as a child, um, much like a lot of other um children of immigrant parents, you grow up being the child interpreter. That had that of course was one of my experiences mm -hmm. um growing up uh, with a with a specifically immigrant parents. Um uh, that's definitely one thing that has influenced me throughout uh the interpreting career as well. Um but originally I didn't have any actual intention, at least not in my adolescent age or in my young adult age to become an interpreter. I had always heard about interpreters or language professionals, um, but it's, it wasn't something that at least not at first interested me. It wasn't until until adulthood that that actually happened. And do you recall what happened exactly that piqued your interest? Well, uh, linking early me to adult me, I actually got to live out, well, I'm living out one of them now, but I got to live out one dream for a short while. Um, I actually became a reserve firefighter, almost coming out of high school. Uh -huh. um, I uh, I was part of the Explorer program uh, in my city, in Compton. And then that, of course, led me to uh, go to Fire Academy. Then for Fire Academy, it took a little bit, but I actually got onto the uh, the core of uh, reserve firefighters for the city of Compton. And although that was short-lived because of... Um, health issues, uh, primarily my father's health, and then later on my own, um, that was something that I unfortunately had to stop doing. Mm. And then now, and now, uh, even if I tried, that's not something that I would be able to do anymore. Um, so uh, linking the two still, uh, one of the things is that to be a firefighter, you have to be an EMT. That's one of the basic things. Mm -hmm. So pretty much out of high school, I got my EMT certification as part of the process of uh, and prerequisites of becoming a reserve firefighter or ultimately wanting to become a firefighter. So I actually was an EMT, uh, not not specifically in the city of Compton, but a neighboring city, mm -hmm. which is Inglewood. And so I started working there on the ambulance, of course, still doing the reserve firefighter. Uh, and that, of course, got me exposure to the hospital setting, primarily the emergency room. And that's when I first started actually seeing interpreters. Really? Yeah. So that was that was my first exposure to an actual interpreter. And that piqued your interest a little bit, huh? That piqued my interest. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely something that piqued my interest. Uh, I always thought that maybe I was like, well, maybe that could be another avenue. But right now I'm really focused on this. So Right. And Something happened, and then suddenly you find yourself looking into the California State University in Fullerton, uh, at the extended education program in court interpreting. So did you go into court for some reason and, and check that out? Or what was the intrigue into then looking into formal training to become an interpreter? Well, one of the hospitals that I worked at, St. Joseph's Hospital in Orange, um, they have staffed interpreters there. Mm -hmm. And I, while I had, by this point, I had some experience doing interpreting, um, as I'm sure you're, you're aware and, and the list, your listeners, excuse me, are aware, um, many hospitals have uh, what they call either a volunteer interpreter program or bilingual staff interpreters. Mm -hmm. So by this point, I had already taken several proficiency exams for the hospitals that I worked at. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, I got training in consecutive interpreting by this point. Um, and I did get to use it often. Um, but 
uh, anyways, fast forwarding to St. Joseph's Hospital, that was the first time that I actually got to work with a group of interpreters or a core of interpreters. And one of them in particular, she encouraged me to look into getting certified as an interpreter. And I started looking at different schools. Um, at that time, I was still living in Long Beach, but we're looking, my, my wife and I were looking to move uh, to Orange County because it would be closer to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and then lo and behold, I came across the extended education program at a Cal State Fullerton. And of course, they have two programs. They have the court interpreter program, and then they have the medical interpreter program. And by this point, uh, working at St. Joseph's, I had already been uh, in EMT for a while. And so I was just like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to become an interpreter, I'm going to challenge myself and I'm going to go into court because I think healthcare, kind of done with healthcare. At least that's what my, my thought was then. Right. And so, yeah, I went in, I registered, I took the exam, I took the exams at Cal State Fullerton uh, for entry into the program. Uh, I was lucky enough to get in. Um, and then, yeah, I stayed throughout the entire program or finished the program there at Cal State Fullerton. And I got all the training that, that I hoped for and that I was expecting to be able to become a court interpreter. Um, I did test to become a court interpreter, but I never got, I never got certified as a court interpreter. I came close my first time around. Um, you know, I just ended up not testing again. Because while I was studying to become a court interpreter, or rather not studying, not just studying, but preparing for my examination mm. for court interpreting, I was also preparing to take the national board's exam. So national I challenged myself to, as a medical national, interpreter. Correct. The mm-hmm. national board for certification of medical interpreters. Mm-hmm. Sorry, a certification for medical interpreters. So I was preparing for both exams at the same time. One mm-hmm. came in January and the other one didn't come till March. So I took the medical exam first, the, of course, the written first. I ended up passing that one, took the court exam, the written exam, passed that one as well. And then uh, I took the oral exam for the national board. And then afterwards, I took the exam for the, uh, 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 for court interpreting. And it just so happens that I passed the exam for the national board or for medical interpreting. I wasn't so successful with the court interpreting exam, but I, since I got the one certification, I just kind of took it and ran with it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost thinking, you know, well, not almost, I'm thinking with regards to your uh, testing in the court interpreting, did you, that's what I was going to ask earlier for you going back to your studies. Did you jump right into attempting to take the uh, court interpreting exam or did you know that there was still a period of um, training or, or preparing yourself in order to take the exam? What I did was I gave myself enough time for studying mm-hmm. what I thought was adequate time for studying um, before taking the exam. Um, I registered almost immediately because I knew there was going to be some time before I was going to be able to take the exam. And so I used that time to prepare myself for the exam. So there wasn't a specific window where I said like, okay, I'm going to give myself four, five, six months to prepare, and then I'm going to register. I pretty much registered after having completed the, um, the training program at Cal State Fullerton. And of course, I knew that was going to take a while before I even got approved and was actually taking the, the was able to take the written exam. And then from the written, of course, then there's the, the specific window where I could take the oral exam. So I just pretty much right afterwards started uh, the certification process. And I used that time to, sorry, to my benefit and for preparation. I'm also wondering, so you you do schooling for court interpreting, but then once you come out, you decide, you know what, I'm going to study both and take both. What were you focusing on for the medical to get certified as a medical interpreter that you were able to not necessarily get from 
the interpreting program that you were in? Because I imagine that interpreting program was very uh, specific and aligned to court interpreting. I imagine I'm not familiar with it. You know, you tell me whether that's true or not, or if you were able to maybe take some other courses while you were enrolled in the program that led you to think, yeah, I can transfer these over uh, and get get myself also under the um, MBCMI certification. What was that thought process? So I, to be quite honest, when I was, when I decided I was going to take the medical certification mm-hmm. or when I was going to pursue uh, medical interpreter certification, it was almost kind of on a whim. Mm-hmm. My whole intention was to become a court interpreter because I wanted to challenge myself and I wanted to get into the courts because at that time, of course, I was feeling I was done with healthcare. Um Lo and behold, I wasn't done with healthcare. <laughs> I've, been, I've been I've been in healthcare now for uh, twenty years now. Wow. Yeah. So then, so well, anyways, back to the 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 skills. Now, yes, the focus was, of course, at Cal State Fullerton was solely on health on excuse me on court interpreting mm-hmm. solely court interpreting terminology, ethics, standards of practice, protocols, you name it. Mm-hmm. The skills, you know, consecutive side and simultaneous. There was some some introduction to translation when I was there, mm-hmm. uh, and then they ended up creating a translation program, which I did not attend though, um, because I was focused on just becoming an interpreter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, the the one of the many reasons why I didn't want to become a translator was because uh, I actually do have a I actually do have dyslexia. And mm-hmm. so I didn't feel, I don't, and I didn't feel at the time that I was uh, going to be able to overcome that, to be able to become a translator. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's, I think that's, uh, that's actually super amazing when someone is able to share what exactly they feel stops them from, you know, taking that next step. And I don't know, I just feel that it's important to share, you know, and and be open about these things because there are people that tend to hide it. So um, thank you for sharing that. Sure, no problem. Um, And so that specific impediment was one of the reasons why I didn't want to become a translator. Um, So my focus was specifically on just becoming an interpreter. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you had asked me uh, what I felt prepared me to take the medical exam. Well, by that point, I had been in healthcare already about 13 years. Mm-hmm. And so I drew on pretty much all of my knowledge from just from healthcare in general. Got it. Just everything, absolutely everything that I've ever encountered all the way back from EMT school, which I took when I was 17. Because uh, you could at the time, uh, mm-hmm. you can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I did that. So all of my EMT training, all of the uh, information that I had on the body systems, anatomy and physiology, mm. which I did take anatomy and physiology courses in college as well. Got it. So Got that it. that all helped, plus yeah. being exposed to emergency room physicians and other specialists. I took all of that information and I literally made myself glossaries and then started translating all of the medical information from English to Spanish. Mm. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I think that 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 was basically was I was trying to get at is how did that how did that transfer over? Because it is right. completely, you know, two different uh, two completely different specializations. And I wondered how you took um, from your past experiences and transferred that over. And you exactly as I was expecting, you know, explained that very well you use your prior experiences to, to help you towards, you know, this, this other specialization. So at some point you mentioned you get your, um, you pass the MBCMI's certification and you are ready to take on the world. At least that's how we feel, right? As soon as we get our certification, like this is it. Did you immediately get into the medical field or was there, you know, an an easing in? Um, Did you become a freelancer first? Did you work for an agency? Do you recall what those opportunities were for you? Right. So there, there was... In terms of an easing in, I'm going to say that there was. 
Now, again, at this point, uh, while I did my studies, while I was doing the certification process, and then eventually got certified, I was still working at the same hospital. And so um, one of the things that uh, that the both the emergency room, because that's where I worked, mm-hmm. and of course, the interpreting department there, um, they they took advantage of that. I had the training and then mm-hmm. eventually had the certification. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and this is not to say that I got taken advantage of, but they both took advantage of the fact that I had the training and I had the certification mm-hmm. and I started providing interpreting services within the emergency department. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time St. Joseph's had gone through, uh, workforce reductions and they had actually downsized the interpreting department. Oh, wow. But they did have a department then. They did have a department. Got it. Okay. They did have one, uh, which is, uh, which of course, one of the interpreters that was there had encouraged me to take, to go through um, schooling and training to become an interpreter. Um, But again, as I mentioned, um, turbulent times at St. Joseph's, they had to do downsizing. Um, the interpreting department was affected by this, and unfortunately, they were not able to staff the inter- the emergency department with an in-person interpreter. There was, of course, other mechanisms. They had video remote and uh, phone interpreting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, they also had me because I was I had already gotten certified by this point, and um, and I was already staffed in the emergency department. Got it. So yeah, there, it was basically just um, an added responsibility. <laughs> Pretty much. But you were able to utilize your new skill sets directly. Correct. Mm. And then not long after certification, because um, I got I took my oral exam in March. And of course, after the processing time, um, I ended up finding out in May that I passed my certification. So May comes around and that was May of 2014. So May of 2014 now, um, I get my certification literally like two weeks after I, I ended up getting the news that I passed. Haven't even received my certification yet. Two weeks afterwards, uh, I get contacted by an agency wondering if I was available to uh, to do a QME. Break that down for the listeners that don't know. What sure, it's QME is a qualified medical evaluation, mm-hmm. which is one of several examinations that a, that a claimant can go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in the state of California, I know that other states have different abbreviations for the process or the different types of of, of examinations or evaluations that a claimant can go through. But at, at least here, to my knowledge, in California, that's a qualified medical evaluation, and. Uh, it actually has to do with one of my, uh, the, the topic actually, or rather the, uh, the appointment rather, uh, was on one of my, uh, one of my fortes, which is on orthopedics. And so, uh, it was really funny because my wife and I had just gone out, left the movie theater. We were literally walking out when I got this phone call and they asked me like, Oh, are you a medical interpreter? And I had to pause just for a second. I was like, Oh yes, I am. <laughs> I have my certification. I, I am a medical that. interpreter. I love that. That realization, like you, that realization you of like, oh, that hat on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Love it. And so, well, anywho, I got the, con- the call from that agency. Uh, I accepted the assignment. And by this point, or at this point, I had zero experience with agencies. So, this is the first agency that I ever had any contracted work through. And I have to ask it was a learning so, experience. I was just going to say, I have to ask, was it a good experience? It was a good experience up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. I totally get that. Now you you go from, you know, uh, added responsibility, which gives you the ability to practice if we look at it that way, right. to suddenly, you know, the you are the interpreter, you are the medical interpreter, because now agencies are touching base with you and you're going through these hoops that I feel a lot of us go through uh, when we begin our journeys as medical interpreters. And so let's fast forward now to where are you currently 
as a medical interpreting professional? Sure. So currently, uh, I actually opened up my own, uh, which I can I call micro, because there's I don't really do too much. Um, I tend not to take on too much work that um, that I can't handle, but I do. I do eventually end up having to subcontract or just contract work um, with other interpreters, but I do have my own micro agency called Vector Language Solutions. Uh, but I I did that so that I actually don't have to work through agencies anymore. Mm-hmm. So I actually take on direct pay clients myself and I provide interpreting services for these clients. Do you have a certain niche of clients that you you know you already have established that you're able to work with on a consistent basis? Yes, I work yeah. with um, there's a few different um, specialties that I work with. Um, general surgery being one of them, orthopedic surgery, neuro is another one, cardiology. These are all um, different specialties that I that I tend to work with. Mental health is another one. Uh, another specialty that I work with. Mm-hmm. And so I work with these these specialists, uh, these providers, and I provide interpreting services for them. I love it. Now, I tend to ask the guests that are on the show that have opened up their own shop that typically... Um, typically, and I say is typically because I mean, everyone's reasoning behind it can be completely different. But typically, the motive that that propels us into, you know, doing our own thing or opening shop for ourselves is because we want to provide a solution to a problem that we've seen out in the field. Do you feel that there was something, there was a challenge that you came across at some point during your interpreting career that you felt was the motive for you to open up your own, um, your own company? Yes. One of them was ease of access. That's definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, at least particularly for the workers' compensation area, mm-hmm. which I don't tend to do to. I don't tend to take on too much work from other, from other agencies anymore, mm-hmm. um, particularly because there's a lot of hoops that not only the LEP has to jump through, but also the interpreter has to jump through just for an assignment through another agency, particularly in the workers' compensation area. Right. Um, but there's also a lack of interpreting presence in primary care or even in the specialties, mm-hmm. which that's primarily the reason I opened up shop so that I can actually provide interpreter services for uh, either the primary care area or in medical specialties, Yeah, I love which that. a lot of these providers, particularly the ones that I work with, have their own private practices outside of the hospitals or centers where they have privileges. Mm-hmm. So while they have privileges at some locations, like let's just say there's a, a doctor who has affiliations with like Cedar Sinai, uh, Providence Healthcare System, or perhaps another one like uh, KPC Health, for example. Those are all um, healthcare systems near where I live. Um, they have access to interpreter services there, but in their private practice, mm-hmm. they have zero. Yeah, because it's their private practice, and they don't have the same privileges or access to, for example, interpreter services like they would had they been at their office at Cedars or Providence or KPC Health. Yeah, I love it. Like I said, yeah, it's typical that, you know, we see an issue out in the field and um, it's it's sort of like a calling, like, okay, like if, if this is an issue and uh, there is no solution currently for it, how about... I provide that solution. So, so I love that. I love those stories always so much because there's always something that inspires, um, you know, our guests to, in order to take that next step. Now, in addition to that, Gustavo, I'm also always interested in knowing if, in addition to what you're already doing and providing a solution to where you saw a gap, if you could change one thing about the medical interpreting profession, what would it be? Hmm. 
that's a tough question. Yeah, it's meant to make you think. Right. <laughs> of course. And it anything. is. It's not provoking for sure. <laughs> it could so, be anything. If there was one thing that I would change specifically where it comes to healthcare or medical interpreting is, and this is probably the root cause of a lot of, uh, a lot of things that plight the medical interpreting profession is the fact that medical interpreters are not seen as part of the, what they call the treating team mm. uh, in the, and what's called the therapeutic uh, relationship with the, between the, the, for example, the provider or the staff and the LEP. Mm-hmm. That's definitely one of the things that I would definitely want to change. And that's yeah. pro- probably part of my mission too, to be honest with you. Nice. Is being able to integrate the interpreter into that, um, yeah, that team aspect of the encounter. I feel that uh, for me in particular, that was one of the one of the because there was there was several. So I I hear you when you when you spoke about um, you know the downsizing at um, this one hospital where you were working at, right? You, there was a moment right. of downsizing, budget cuts, and all that. So I encountered throughout my uh, career a similar experience where our hospital went through budget issues as well. And the first um, positions, if you would, who that, that, that received the cuts were in the TNI department. And so right. I was one of those unfortunate, well, I don't know, now that I think about it, maybe not so unfortunate. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? One of the fortunate, yeah, one of the fortunate um, positions that got cut. And I ended up, I want to say, you know, like within a couple of months, um, working for a children's hospital. And that experience was day and night because a lot of the, the great examples of a system that includes the interpreter was established there. You know, they, they, I remember that I would show up, you know, when I was first starting and it was like my, my, um, I was doing basically the first two weeks year in training. And so I would show up to the call, the, the assignment, but it's, in, you know, I'm an employee there of the, of the hospital. And so you, we, we still have pagers there guys. Well, we did then, like, I don't know if they've uh, upgraded the system, but yeah. we would get paged and um, you know, you, you clock in, you get the room number and we would show up and, I remember the first experience was like I was about to, you know, just get ready to walk into the room when suddenly the doctor and the nurse and another specialist began to brief me. And I'm looking around like, where's the where's the patient? You know, like, who am I interpreting for? But they're briefing the interpreter before we walk into that patient's room. And so they're giving me a complete history, the medical diagnosis. And for me, that just blew my mind because it was completely different to the experience at the other hospital. And um, I just that is something that I brought with me to the next phase of my interpreting career, which is, as you know, now, you know, in, in K through 12 education, because I just felt that that made such a difference in the team building aspect. Yes. But also in the preparation of that assignment. So I totally feel what you're saying with regards to bringing the interpreter as part of the team. I don't know if every hospital does it, but man, this, I want to say that it was part of that TNI group that TNI team that they have there at that hospital that helped to create that. So the more interpreters are aware of this type of experience and system that is created to integrate the interpreter into their systems. um, I think that the more we can begin internally, you know, changing um, that dynamic. So I love that you shared that. That's actually one of the things that I aim to address. And that's, and it's, also, one of the things that I had built into my business model mm-hmm. is um, client education. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, the, the experience that the interpreter has and the LEP 
is completely different from what they're accustomed to having. Yeah. Um, because I have definitely been a guest, not that I worked at other at children's hospitals, but I've definitely been a guest at them. And most of them do integrate their interpreting team into that type of dynamic. And it's, yeah. and it's completely mind blowing yes. and it's amazing. It's just a stellar experience for everyone yes. when the interpreter is incorporated into that team dynamic. And it's very unfortunate that a lot of interpreting departments, even though they're established, aren't considered to be fundamental to the LEP's care. Uh, not like what your experience was again. Yeah. You know, we, we are talking about, you know, this whole notion of a sense of community, such as the one that you mentioned in, in the beginning. And I always love how your stories really develop into this theme at the end as our conversation evolves uh, on the episode, because part of what you appreciated so much about growing up in your childhood was the sense of community. And the fact that we're now fast forwarding into your present moment, and that the sense of community is still something that uh, drives, you know, your efforts that you still have that somehow within you and that that's exactly what you're trying to create, I think, you know, comes from your experiences and what you cherished during your childhood. And I, I always love how things just interconnect because one of the reasons why I touched base with you and I was sharing, you know, prior to us uh, beginning our episode is because I posted on social media a question at one point with regards to who has been a mentor in your professional career and your name specifically, you know, was, uh, was shared. And to me, I always want to be able to highlight these stories because it's because of people like you that now have made it a mission to come back and give back to the community in this way. And that in some way, shape, or form, you've encouraged another individual to push themselves, just like this person that you've mentioned a couple of times uh, during today's conversation that encouraged you and pushed you to go to that next step, right? To take things a little further and challenge yourself. You somehow did that for another individual on this earth. And they remember that because they, you know, brought up your name and they mentioned you. And so I want to take, you know, the time to highlight that about you and that you're now here in present moment uh, doing this, this work that you do, but you're still also encouraging others and teaching others because aside from, you know, you having your own business, you're also coordinator and lead instructor for Trans Interpreting's Healthcare Interpreting Program. Is that correct, Gustavo? That is correct. Yes. Um, going on now five years, going on six years almost, um, where I've been in that role. Uh, and yeah, I partnered up with um, with my business partner, um, Edgar Hidalgo Garcia, which I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with him um, as he's a court interpreter. And one of his, he primarily does a lot of instruction, especially for court interpreters, which funny thing is that he was actually my instructor when I was there at Cal State Fullerton really? in the court interpreting program. Yeah. <laughs> so I, the whole, how this came about that I ended up in that role was that I reached out to him after getting certified as a medical interpreter. And he just was blown away that I got the certification one and then two he was like hey how would you like to start getting a program together so that you can pass on your knowledge and and your tips and tricks and strategies to for other uh, aspiring medical interpreters to then get certified themselves and so that's yeah that's pretty much how I landed in that role in this current role and and I've been doing it. I've been going at this now for for five years uh, as the as the lead instructor for this program. That is so great. I love it. I love I love how you know the connections somehow 
come through and, you know, you're able to put something together. Like you just never know how things are going to play out in the future. And so making these connections and sharing information and skills and knowledges, I think is always, um, it's just such a great thing to see it in the future because you never imagine that, you know, but I think one of the things that you, you just briefly touched on is the fact that you reached out right? You reached out to them and just FYI, you know, this is where I'm at, or uh, this is what I'm looking for. You never know what people are going to respond if you just take that initiative to connect. So I absolutely love that. I really do hope that, you know, people are are getting these uh, little nuggets of information because they're so good, you know, just the different approaches that one can take in order to further their career or do something more than they're already currently doing, I think is always a great thing. Before we wrap things up here, Gustavo, I want to take the opportunity to ask if there's any new or future projects that you're working on that you can share or would like to share with the audience. Sure. So, um, well, I am currently the the coordinator and the lead instructor for Trans Interpreting's Healthcare Interpreting Program. And one of the things that that I'm working on there is actually in creating um, series of instruction on different topics, um, essentially taking a big topic, like let's just say orthopedics or cardiology or, um, or, or any other specialty for that matter, and then breaking it down into smaller components. And the purpose of doing that is because that way I'm, my intention is to make everything a little bit easier to understand um, and to you know actually absorb the information and then also to make it more economical for for interpreters as well. Um, and that's one project that I'm working on. Awesome. Uh, also, conversely, uh, sticking to that same thing, this is something that we're going to be launching. And in fact, if you were to go onto Trans Interpreting's website, you'll see the first three that are posted, which are actually on demystifying orthopedics. Um, so there's some intermediate to advanced level information in those particular um presentations, uh, which the first one will be coming out on March 18th, and then every week after that. Um, But this is something that I'm going to be doing pretty much monthly, is making these, taking these larger projects or these larger topics and then breaking them down into its almost individual components. Um, That's one thing that I'm doing at Transinterpreting with um, Vector Language Solutions. Um, I'm actually right now, and I hope I'm not jinxing myself, but I'm actually uh, negotiating with the hospital right now. You're having so, a negotiation to be their their go-to uh, company? Yeah. Oh, that is so amazing. And uh, so hopefully everything goes well with that. And if that's yeah. the case, then I'm definitely going to be looking to hire uh, certified medical interpreters for that one. <laughs> for that, that project. is so wonderful there everybody right now it's all good juju to gustavo negrete so that that contract goes through and he could start hiring some more certified medical interpreters that sounds right. amazing and then also with trans interpreting we're also taking on a bigger project which i i uh, i didn't get the okay to actually mention that one out loud but then what i'm trying to say is just building up some some a cliffhanger so that you know people know that hey trans interpreting is going to be doing something really big soon so yes <laughs> so hopefully so, so hopefully people stay tuned to that that sounds so great you know one thing that i neglected to ask and that i was really interested in what is a certified hipaa privacy expert what is oh. that oh thank you for for asking that actually that's one of my other certifications that i have so, um, and, and I, I originally got that certification because of another business that I helped uh, establish. Um, but essentially, a certified HIPAA privacy expert is uh, a person who's certified in the implementation of safety measures when it comes to specifically the safeguarding of protected health information. Mm. Um and so one of the things that I actually do is I actually do provide HIPAA training for not just interpreters, but I focus specifically on interpreters. That um, is so great. And so this is, this is essentially a, a, a HIPAA compliance class that I teach. 
Uh, and I use that certification for that. And I'm actually working on my HIPAA privacy security expert certification too, which that of course has to do with more of the technology side versus the people side of, of protecting uh, uh, health information. Wow. Talk about a specialty. I love that. I'd never heard that. So I, I, I thought to myself, I have to remember to ask Gustavo what exactly that is. And so it is something that uh, you currently offer, uh, like package it up in terms of information or training for interpreters, correct? Correct. Correct. And this, of course, has helped me greatly when it comes to um, to the launch of Vector Language Solutions and also with with my current project. or negotiations, because that's definitely one of the things that um, when you start scaling up, you know, they, they, meaning whomever your potential client is going to be, they look at that kind of information. And it's actually one of the things that I wish a lot that, um, that I wish was incorporated in a lot of instruction is the basic things that or not, not even so basic, to be quite honest with you, because if they were so basic, everyone would know this. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the business compliance component, especially for those who are planning on working with with direct clients, that's definitely something that I wish um, would be more readily available for interpreters. And that's actually one of the one of the series that I'm going to be launching too. Oh, how great! So everybody, be on the lookout for that one. That that's a super interesting topic. Well. We're getting ready to wrap up here, Gustavo. So before we go, please share with our listeners where they can find out more about you and the work that you do. So you can find me on Facebook um, as just me, plain, simple, Gustavo Negrete. Um, You could also reach out to me via email, um, Gustavo at transinterpreting.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Gustavo underscore the underscore interpreter. Uh, that is my Instagram handle there. And uh, if people reach out to me, I'll be happy to, to answer any questions that they have, whether it's regarding me or or just any questions in general. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm a fairly open book when it comes to a lot of stuff. Thank you so much, Gustavo. I really appreciated the opportunity for you to come on this platform and share your stories with language professionals from all over the world. Thank you so very much. And we will be in touch. Take care. Sure. Thank you very much, Maria, for having me on. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the very end. If you'd like to connect with me, head on over to the website, brandtheinterpreter.com and click on the connect with me tab. You can also stay connected on social media, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube as Brand the Interpreter or Mireya Perez on LinkedIn. Till next time.